Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher Chick Podcast. I'm your host, the Preacher Chick, Pastor Stacy. And as you have been listening, you know that we are in a series on stewardship. We've talked about the stewardship of our emotions, and we've talked about the stewardship of our worship. And today's episode touches on the one that everybody loves the most, the stewardship of our finances, a biblical and godly approach to managing what God has entrusted to us. And this one is a little bit different because instead of sitting down with a friend and having a conversation or asking friends for their input, I'm sharing a sermon that I recently preached at our church on the topic. Listen, I know money is one of the least favorite topics to cover in the church, but it's important. And so we do it. And I hope that you'll grab a pen and paper, grab your Bible and take some notes while you listen. And I pray that you'll be challenged and encouraged to follow God's plan and purposes for your money. Thanks for listening. You know, one of the things that uh, that I, I have said this several times since I've become the lead pastor here, that my heart, my goal, if you want to call it that, for our church is that we would be a healthy church, that we, that we would be a, a church that pursues all God has, but to be a healthy church means that we are a church full of healthy people, healthy believers, and and so we've taken thing, we've taken steps, we've done things to help, um, help resource us to be the healthiest church. Uh, believers that we can be. You know, there are several aspects that determine your health as a follower of Christ. How you spend your time. Are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time in prayer and worship outside of these four walls? Um, are Are you disciplined in your spiritual commitments? Uh, They say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. So what are your priorities? How do you spend your financial resources? How do you spend your mental resources and emotional resources? Do you manage them? Do you manage them in capacities that, that, that allow you to honor God at all times, even on bad days? So let, let me say it like this. Have you ever stood in front of a vending machine? You're hungry, you're snacky, and you're anticipating biting into the snack that you're going to get, right? And you put your money in, and you push the buttons to get what you want, and nothing happens. Or it turns just enough that it shifts, but it doesn't drop. I mean, how crazy does that make you? The machine is out of order at that point. And folks, if our priorities and our method of stewardship are out of order, then things don't function, and our walk with God is not in step, and our lives will be out of order. So this morning, we're going to talk about a heart for the house, which basically, I'm focusing on stewardship. What is stewardship? What does stewardship look like in the life of a believer? Well, I think the best place to start is to look at how Jesus illustrated stewardship. And so look at Matthew chapter 25 with me. And if you uh, use the Bible app, the notes are there um, under the events section, like Josh announced. And so encourage you to find everything there. But in Matthew chapter fi- uh, 25, beginning in verse 14, it says, For it is like a man about to go on a journey. 
he called his own servants and entrusted his uh, possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who earned... um, In the same way with the man, two earned two more, but the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him, and throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? Let's pray before we go on. Lord, we thank you for your word. Even the words that seem pretty harsh and cutting, we know that your word is faithful and your word is true and your word is for your people to grow us. And so as we look at what your word, what you have to say about being faithful stewards, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us? Father, I pray that every word that comes from my mouth would be straight from your heart and that it would be received by the open hearts that the Holy Spirit has prepared in Jesus' name. Amen. So, stewardship. It's, it's more than giving a tithe. That's important, but it's more than giving a tithe. Stewardship is a lifestyle of appropriately managing what God has entrusted to us. Now, this feels a little self-serving, but just to say it, if you listen to my podcast, you'll know that I've been having conversations about stewardship the past couple episodes, so don't be surprised if this sermon is what this week is, because I've covered stewardship of our emotions and stewardship of worship, and I plan on covering a few more things that we steward, and Finances are one of them. Our, our resources are one of them. So um, it's probably going to show up there. But did you know, according to dictionary.com, stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. That's, it's, it's that simple. Stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. Wikipedia, which we all know is not necessarily like 
where you get your information, but it's a source. Wikipedia says stewardship, or says that stewardship is an ethic that embodies the responsible planning and management of resources the responsible planning and management of resources. There's a theology of stewardship. Okay, just to clarify, theology is the study in the nat of the nature of God. That's what theology means. So there is a theology to stewardship. There is a godly nature to stewardship, and it is the belief that humans are responsible for the world and should take care of it and look after it and also on Wikipedia, it says, I love this quote, the central essence of biblical worldview stewardship is managing everything God brings into the believer's life in a manner that honors God and impacts eternity. So if you really want to understand, if you truly want to, to have a good understanding of stewardship, it begins and ends in the understanding that God is the owner of it all. Everything is his. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, typically, if somebody's created something, we, says it's, we say it's theirs, Right? Nobody would question that. I mean, if I made a cake and I brought it in and sat it on a table and somebody else walked in and said, whose cake is this? Whoever was standing there would probably say, well, that's Pastor Stacy's cake. If no other instructions were given right, that's who it is. God who created everything, the entire universe, and everything that exists in it is the owner of it all. If you go down a few verses in Genesis 1, you see that God has given humanity, the humanity part of his creation, the position of manager. In verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. He didn't say, hey, it's now yours. He says, this is what I've created, now you're responsible to take care of it. It all belongs to him and we must be good stewards of all that he has given to us. I was talking to a friend last week who made the point, and this is, I think, a really interesting perspective, um, that the original sin, you know, Eve at the tree, right? Okay, we're all on the same page. You guys are really, really quiet today. And I know this is not a message that usually is going to get like a hoorah, amen, but like some engagement would be great. Okay, um, you know me, I, I thrive on that. But my friend said that, that the original sin was an attempt of the enemy to convince humanity that we're the ones in control and that we're the ones who own what we see. Isn't that an interesting perspective? Because if Eve's perspective was truly that God was the owner of it all, then even, even the devil saying, surely God didn't say that, wouldn't have led to where it went. Right? If you think about it in that perspective, kind of what, he, what the enemy was saying was, um, he didn't really tell you to subdue and multiply and then you can't use it all, did he? But in this moment of fleshly desire, in this moment of humanity, and this desire to have it all and be there. Because remember, what he told Eve was, you'll have all the knowledge. You'll, you'll be able to know and do everything. 
And in that moment, to be in control of simply what God asked to manage, humanity became a slave. And the flesh wants us to be the owner, but friends, God is the true owner of it all. That is, period. So in, in stewardship, we have to look at tithing. Here's the, one of the most hated topics to be preached on in church. Nobody wants, I hear it all the time, all the church ever talks about is money. All the church really wants is your money. Well, that's not true, number one. And while we're not a club or anything like that, how many of you belong to something that you have dues to pay? And do you get mad about it or do you pay your dues? You, right? Okay, so, you know, we're a part of the family of God, and what he asks us is to do this. Okay, and I, I have even heard, I, I, so let me, let me step back. While the church does talk about money, although it has become clear to me in preparing this, I don't think I've ever once, uh, since I've been back here in two years, preached about tithing. We talk about being generous. We talk about giving. But I don't think I've preached about tithing. And so while we talk about giving, we're not talking about the fullness of what God says in his word his people are to do with the resources that he's given them. And we need to do it in a way that honors and glorifies him while building up the local church, within and which then in turn builds up the kingdom of God. So let's begin by dispelling a myth. Tithing is not an Old Testament law. I've heard that a lot. Well, I don't have to give, I don't have to tithe now because I live under the new covenant of Jesus and tithing was the old covenant bull. That's not true. That's not biblical. As a matter of fact, Abraham tithed before the Mosaic law. So yes, Old Testament, but before the law was given, Abraham was tithing. In Genesis 14, 17 through 20, it says, After Abram returned from defeating, I don't even know how to say that word, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Shava Valley, that is the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. Listen, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Jacob also tithed before the law. Um, in Genesis 28, you read the, the encounter of Jacob and his dream at Bethel, where the stairway and the angels ascending and descending, and he receives this promise from God, and immediately he sets up a memorial with a tribute. Beginning in verse 18, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. Many say that tithing is a part of the Old Testament law, and we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, but it's not a valid statement. Jesus himself endorsed tithing. Did you know that? 
in Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. He's not saying one is more important than the other, so if you're taking care of these things in the law, don't worry about the other. He's saying you do them both. You take care of those things, and you do this. And then in chapter 22, verse 15, Jesus says, uh, says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him by what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. These guys were slick. They're there to catch him in something that they're playing. We know you're good and we know you're honest kind of a thing. I mean, that's how I read it anyway. And they go on, you don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. We ought to take that, that that'll preach right there, that lesson. You don't care what anyone thinks, you do what you're supposed to do. Okay, anyway. Verse 17, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Perceiving their malicious intent, because he's Jesus, he said, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Whose image and inscription is this, he asked them. And Caesar's, they said to him. And then he said, Give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left and went away. Obviously, Jesus believed in tithing. He felt that tithing or giving back to the Lord was important. It is important. And if we believe that God's word is inspired by him through the Holy Spirit to human hands to write, and do we? Are you sure? <laughs> I do. It's God's word. Then there is something for us to take away from every single passage. Of course, we take things into context. Of course, we look at what culture was at the time. Of course, we rightly divide the word of God. But if it's his inspired word, then everything that's in it cover to cover is for us to learn from. And so we hear the words of Jesus and we put them into action. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So let's look at deeper into what God says the tithe is. Malachi 3, 7 through 11. Okay, I'm going to pause here because I heard in the last couple of weeks a preacher say that, um, and there's a little truth to this, but, um, but it's deeper than just this blanket statement, that we don't give to God to get blessed. We give to God out of our blessing. That's not wrong at the surface. But I feel like when you say that, it gives a lot of people who, who assume that they don't have enough permission to not be obedient to God. And if you read the whole chapter 3 of Malachi, which is the most commonly used passage to talk about tithing, you're going to see that the Israelites, they were living under a curse when the command came. They weren't living in blessing. They were living under a curse when the command came. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? 
Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. In other words, how bad does it have to get before you wake up? Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way. You're not going to read of God saying, test me anywhere else. Test him. Put him to the test. He's going to be faithful. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of Armies. Now, the context of this passage is definitely more than money, sure. It's a call to return to God. Malachi, if you read his whole book, which is it's short, it doesn't take long, okay? It's an easy, it's not an easy read because he's very in your face, and he doesn't care that he's stepping on your toes. He's not there to make you comfortable and feel good. He's there to get your attention and turn your hearts back to the Lord. But it's a short book that is powerful, and you can read it, and he holds nothing back when it comes to presenting the truth of God's heart to a rebellious people. And friends, I'm here to tell you, we live in a rebellious world. His main point of the entire message that he brings to the people is to take God seriously. Stop playing games. Stop trying to find loopholes in God's plan. Just going through the motions, taking God casually. The culture of the people at this time was acknowledging that God exists, but they weren't engaging with his presence and with his person. Don't you see that around you today? People who have no problem saying, yeah, God's real, but they don't live like God is real. God deserves our total allegiance, even your finances. The tithe is simply 10%. And I kind of think that's really cool of God because 10% is relative. So if you have an increase of $10, it's just a dollar. If you have an increase of $50, it's $5. If you have an increase of $100, it's $10. If you have an increase of $1,000, it's $100. Are you following me? It's all relative. The tithe is a fair amount for everyone, regardless of your position or your salary. And it's all his anyway. If, we're, if we aren't tithing, we are robbing God. You're not robbing the church, which, let me tell you, you are crippling the church. You're keeping it to a point where ministry can't be done effectively. I'm just, I'm just going to say it like that because that's the truth. But God's word will go out, however. But you are robbing him. The tithe is not the same as an offering. And anything above and beyond a tithe is an offering that's offered freely. When you give to missions, when you give to kids or to youth, to the building fund, or you give us you give a little bit extra to go towards our loan payment, that's beyond your ten percent. A tithe goes into the storehouse; it goes to the general fund of the local church. 
undesignated, free to be used as needed for the work of ministry, which, yes, does include paying your church staff, as well as the electric bill, the water bill, insurance, lawn maintenance, uh, pest control, upkeep of the grounds, and on and how you, it's you got to take care of God's house, you take care of your house. Right? An offering is something you give towards a designated need like missions, Convoy of Hope, Project Rescue, sending kids to camp. A tithe is the first 10% of your increase to the general fund. It feels very rudimentary, but I don't know. This is where God led me. Okay. Haggai gets a bit more harsh in his charge to not rob God of, God of the tithe. So if you didn't like what Malachi said, you're really not going to like what Haggai says. Because he says when you don't tithe, you're under a curse. In chapter 1, verse 6, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to be happy. You put clothes on but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Have you ever had a wallet or a purse or a pocket that had a hole? And you put stuff in it and it just drops, right? You lose it. I mean, I walked out of our house yesterday. I just had my little wallet. It's got like a wrist thing that goes on it. And I didn't realize that the zipper wasn't all the way closed. And I stepped out onto the front porch and I turned to close the door behind me and I lost change all over the porch. That's what Haggai is saying. If you're not tithing, that's essentially what you're doing with your money. I read this quote by a man named Tom Gardner. The principle of tithing is not magic. It must be married to good stewardship of the resources entrusted to our care and management. So let me say this. If you're tithing, but you're doing it with an attitude, if you're tithing, but your heart is not good and you're not managing the other 90% well, it's like, putting, it's like putting money in a bag with a hole in the bottom. When you try to make your finances work any other way but God's way, you might experience some good things, but you'll not be operating, operating under the full blessing of God's promise. You'll be under a curse. And I don't know about you, but I want all God has for me. I want to live, what did I say at the beginning? Good is okay, but I want God's best. I want to be the obedient daughter that he has called me to be. And he simply says to give him 10% and you get to keep the 90. I'm here to tell you that I've lived long enough life to see that when you trust God in this, he will take your 90% further than you ever could dream of taking it. He simply says, give me 10% and manage the 90 well. And he'll take it further than you can imagine. But tithing and giving are not the same thing as we already said. So let me ask you, are you giving to God what he commands? And are you managing or stewarding the 90% according to his heart? Our uh, general treasurer for the General uh, Council of the Assemblies of God, Donna Barrett, she said, are you tithing to God or are you tipping him? Are you tithing or are you tipping? Are you giving to him what he has called for? And are you managing the other part according to his heart? Because the Christian life is supposed to be a lifestyle of generosity. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, 
it will be measured back to you. Now that, that's a statement that covers more than just your money and what you give. If you're a crabby jerk in the grocery store, you're probably gonna get crabbiness in response. You know? It's, it's a principle for life. Give love and you'll receive lavish love. Give time and you'll, be, you'll receive time spent with you. Give your finances and you'll receive God's blessings in ways you can't imagine. But don't hear what I'm not saying. If you tithe, I don't promise you're going to get double the amount back in your hand immediately. That's not what I'm saying either. What I'm saying is that if you are faithfully obedient to give the tithe and to manage the 90% that you have left well, God will be sure your bills are paid, your fridge has food, your clothes are provided for, your needs will be met. Am I saying you're going to have a surplus? No, but if God's meeting your needs, what does it matter? I mean, we live in a world of consumerism that says more, 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 more. You know, I mean, I, I remember just a few years ago, my, my mom and her siblings had to go through my grandparents' home after they both passed, and the stuff, the stuff was crazy. I look at my own house. We've been in this house for 17 years. I probably could throw away most of what's in my basement. And I probably should before I get too much older and my kids have to do it and hate me one day. <laughs> it's not about the stuff that we have. But if you're faithful and obedient with what God has entrusted to you, then your needs are going to be met. And friends, isn't that enough? Now, I do believe that he's generous and faithful and kind enough that you're going to get extra somehow, some way. And it may look like, hey, we, we tithed, we paid our bills, because tithe first. Even if you get paid on Thursday, you can, you can write the check or set up the giving online to happen, and then everything falls after that. But you tithe, you pay your bills, and you look and you go, we only have this much left for groceries. I don't know how we're going to make it to the next payday. And then somebody calls and says, hey, we just made a big pot of chili. We want your family to come over and eat with us. That's a meal you didn't have to worry about. That stretches what you have. Or, or um, you, you open the mailbox and you get a check back from the insurance company because you overpaid your doctor's visit. Or you find, you, go, you pull up at the gas station and get, wouldn't this be a miracle? And the gas price has dropped like a quarter. So that's an extra quarter per gallon you get back in your wallet. All I'm saying is when you are faithful with what God has given you and you do it according to what his plans and his will are, he will take care of every need. My dad's favorite verse, and I heard it my entire life, is I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Jesus made it plain in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, it's not about you. It's about him. And if you're doing what he's asked you to do, he's going to take care of you and bless you in return. So why don't people give? Well, there's a fear that there won't be enough. That's kind of a poverty mentality. A reaction to perceived legalism. Well, you're not the boss of me, and you can't tell me what to do. Well, I'm not the boss of you, and I'm not the one telling you what to do. The Word of God says what to do. Sometimes it's just ignorance, simply not knowing or understanding what the Bible says about giving. 
It's a lack of discipline because giving is a discipline of a disciple. So are you a disciple? Are you reading your Bible daily? So are you spending time in God's word to get to know him? Are you spending time in prayer and worship? Giving and tithing is the same discipleship principle and discipline as those other things. Sometimes it's uh, misplaced priorities because, like I said, we live in a consumer mentality culture and generation where you got to have the next best thing. you got to have more, more, more. Poor choices or poor stewardship. We need God's word to direct us because we can't do it on our own. Sometimes it's crippling debt, which is a reflection of several of the above issues which hinder us from being generous. And I think all of it can be summed up in pride because you're too concerned with keeping up with the Joneses and so you live beyond your means. But why should you give? Well, we give because of our love for God and that should be our number one reason and motivation. I love him and I want to please him. So I'm obedient. Number two is stewardship. The acknowledgement that he owns everything anyway and he only asks me to give him 10% back gratefulness for what he's done in our lives to show that we trust him Philippians 4:19 and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus and I love that if you, like scripture says that he is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills y'all he doesn't oh I'm going to get ahead of myself we do this out of obedience Jesus said if you love me you'll keep my commandments Faithfulness, God's faithfulness towards us and then ours towards him. We do it as an act of worship because Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And we do it not just to receive or just to be seen by others. Let me pause here because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. God doesn't need your money. If he's the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, do y'all know ranchers? They got lots of money. Why? Because cattle, cattle ain't cheap. The, when we've, I've been to Oklahoma twice, first of all, highly recommend. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my whole life. There's just these rolling hills, like I've heard that said, but until I saw it, I, couldn't, I didn't understand. These rolling hills, but the cattle that you see on them, massive. He's the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, family. He don't need your money, but he wants your heart. And so the money issue is a reflection of your heart. And I truly believe if he's got your wallet, he has your heart. God calls us to be stewards over everything from our time and our talents to our finances. He calls us. He commands us to bring our tithes into the storehouse and to live a life of generosity. So I have three practical ways that you can do this. The first is to plan. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. So plan. Second one is budget. Luke 14.28, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? So make a budget. And save. Proverbs 30, 24 to 25. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are not strong people, yet they store up their food for the summer. It's okay to save. 
Now, I know the enemy right now is attempting to create doubt in hearts and minds of people who are listening. It's all yours. Do what you want. You don't have to listen to that. It's your money. She can't tell you what to do. Oh, I, that's not wrong. I can't tell you what to do. I can only present to you what God says you need to do. But as we saw from Eve's example, following that logic of thinking only makes us slaves. And God has sent Jesus to give us freedom. God is saying, come, I have the freedom to set you free. Now, you got to live according to his plan. I mean, you live in the United States, the land of the free, the home of the brave, but are there laws? Do you follow them? I don't see anybody from here running out and murdering anyone because they made you mad. I, I'm assuming y'all pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's. Give to God what is God's. He's given us freedom. Being a good steward isn't just about getting out and staying out of debt. It's about being in a position of complete submission to God's plan and his will for your life and to put you in a place that you can say yes to him at the moment he asks I know that there are people who have desired to go into missions and they do the process and then they go and they sit before the presbytery and their debt is so high that they can't go on the mission field. I know that not everyone in this room is called to missions, but we're all called to be people that God will use to reach the lost. We're all called to be generous. And if we're not stewarding what he has given us well, it cripples us from saying yes when he asks. And I'm at the point in my life, I don't have all this together either. I'm learning, we're growing, but I'm at the point in my life where I don't want God to have to ask me something. And because I refuse to do it his way, I have to say no. Or, even worse, I don't get the option to answer because he knows I can't and he goes somewhere else. I want to be able to say yes to God before he ever even asks me. And stewarding what he has simply asked me to manage is one of the first places I can start. It's up to me. Because before we leave today, I want to invite you to respond. I know this is not a typical message that says, come to the altar, and that's not necessarily what I'm saying either. But I also believe that God's word goes out and demands a response. And I want you, I want to invite you today to respond to God's word by repenting of living as though we're the ones who are the owners instead of living as the managers he's asked us to be. Would you spend a few moments in worship to the giver of all things and for the blessings that he's poured out over us in your own lives but as a church? And would you ask him to give you the strength to be obedient and to be a good steward like he's asking us to be? I really hope that you are encouraged and even challenged to look at your stewardship differently today to have a biblical perspective about your finances. As always, I can't express enough how much it means that you listen 
If you haven't yet, would you take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and maybe even share it with a friend? Thanks for listening and see you next time.